Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke 12, verses 13 to 34. So if you have your Bibles with you or a digital one like I do, please turn with me to Luke 12, 13 to 34. The parable of the rich fool. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Men, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you, are not, what, what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be back with you this morning. Obviously, I'm not literally back with you, but I am literally finally on the same island as you. Adeline, thank you so much for reading God's word for us. I want us to just uh, prepare our hearts. Let's have a word of prayer before we dig into his word this morning. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, in the midst of the storms of what seems like global chaos, 
even in the middle of pandemics and recession and unrest, we want to thank you for this moment of quiet calm. We just want to invite you to turn our hearts afresh to you this morning. Help us that we might be inspired to focus on eternity, that we might see those things that are of true eternal significance. Show us, God, through your word this morning, those things that give you joy. And even, yes, I dare pray, God, expose those things in me, in us, that you despise, so that we might find ourselves today fully and completely in your loving care. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we pray it. Well, uh, we are still in our theme of radical dependence. This morning, we're talking about kingdom focus. What is of gospel significance? What do we constantly focus our hearts on? And I imagine I'm not the only one who have values that didn't really actually pick up from God's word. I, I'm guessing that some of you also have values that um, inform what you enjoy, our view of ourselves, our most persistent ambitions have all been informed by culture and teachers and friends, and especially in a world of global connectedness by the media to which we expose our hearts. I was curious about this uh, when we had the rare opportunity for Sherry and I to spend time with our grandchildren. And so I asked uh, my uh, grandson, his name is Titus, uh, Titus, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and here he is on Hardy Island showing me his trophy slug that he had just caught, very proud of himself. And in case you're wondering, it's not that hard to catch slugs. They don't run. But after he put his slug down, I said to him, now, Titus, Papa, which is what they call me, Papa's wondering, what do you want to be when you grow up? He gave it some thought, and then he said, with great conviction, I want to be a Lego that's right. He did not say, I want to be an engineer who makes and designs Lego. He didn't say, I want to be an architect to build great Lego structures. He didn't even say, I want to be on a sales team. He literally said, I want to be a Lego. Now, I don't know what that says about my DNA, but I do remember the childish dreams I had when I was growing up. I don't know if you remember yours. But I remember very clearly my brother and I sneaking around in our father's back bush, making bows and arrows, looking for white people to punish for stealing our land, pretending to be North American Indians. I was clearly not very self-aware. I don't know what your dreams were when you were young or even what your ambitions are now. But I do know that God has plans for you and I that are more than our own ambitions. So there are just three things. If you're, if you're keeping an outline, there's going to be three things 
that God would want us to know. The first is you were made for more. If we look, first of all, at verses 13 through 15, and you might have recalled from last week when Pastor Eugene preached, Jesus began in chapter 1, in verse 1, specifically says that there were many thousands. In fact, the Greek word literally is tens of thousands of people, which in Greek means a whole lot of people who had gathered around trampling one another, stepping over one another to get to Jesus. And yet in that moment, while the thousands were pressing up against him, Jesus turned to a few. He turned to his followers and spoke to them. But in our passage this morning, in verse 13, the crowd had caught up to him. And someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, now we know something about this man. We know, first of all, he recognized Jesus as a rabbi. And, and we know something else. Everyone is following somebody, but not everyone is following Jesus. This man thought he might could use Jesus as leverage for something else that he wanted, not Jesus himself. And so as addressing Jesus as a teacher, he naturally expected that he would have the ability to render judgment in ethical matters. This is what rabbis did in the first century. They were often consulted in matters of life. Now, that's not the way it is today. Uh, those of you who are members of GBC, you seldom call up a pastor and say, hey, can you tell me how I, I might divide my will among my children? You, you, you seldom will think, oh, boy, I've got a problem in my workspace. I should call my pastor. But in the first century, religious rabbis were full-service teachers. They would often travel to render legal decisions, to talk about social issues. But it's important that we understand that Jesus' refusal to answer is not a suggestion that he had not the ability or the authority to respond. It doesn't even suggest he has no concern for social or ethical matters. Rather, he is redirecting the questioner to an area of his life that the other rabbis had no right to judge. It's the man's motives. And so Jesus says to him in verses 14 and 15, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Not that he is not, but he's redirecting. Here's your motives. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his stuff, of his possession. He was saying to this man, you yourself, you are God's possession. And he has made you for more. He has made you for more than the things you possess. Jesus was actually crushing the philosophy that I grew up with. Growing up in Canada, I saw bumper stickers often with this on. I saw it on T-shirts. On in, in fact, what surprises me is you can still order these today. 
He who dies with the most toys wins. You can get this button, by the way, online for $289 Australian dollars. It's not just a Western concept. When Sherry and I were living in Malacca, we had a neighbor who had a huge garage. And he had three Mercedes that he never parked in his garage. They were all parked in front of his house so that all of his neighbors could know, I'm winning, I'm winning. Who, the one who has the most stuff, that's the guy who wins. The, the fascinating thing about this, though, is Jesus sees beyond the question. And he turns to all of the crowd now, not just disciples. And he told them a parable. And it's important that we know, not just that we were made for more, but that we will give an account. Verses 16 through 21, beginning, first of all, in verses 16 through 17. And, and obviously, you know, I love Rembrandt. This painting of the rich man, the rich fool as is often called, late at night, in candlelight, inspecting his books, counting his funds, worried about what he is going to do with all his stuff. Jesus told them this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, now I wonder if you noticed that. Jesus doesn't say, let me tell you a story. This rich man was unusually financially astute. He, he, did, he didn't say, this man worked so hard. He had great gifts in farming. No, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, I wonder if you've ever thought about God's sorrow in the middle of the grace he gives. Because when a rich man has land that produces plentifully, he automatically takes credit for it. He creates distance from God in his boasting. Now what am I going to do with whose crops? God's crops? The crops God gave me? No what am I going to do with my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Which incidentally is a perfect description of my stay home notice. Because the sisters at Grace Baptist Church are sending me so much food. But let's get back to the text. What I find fascinating about this rich fool is he actually had good theology. At least he confessed it because he addressed himself as he truly is. Not by his name, we don't even know it, but by the part of him that is truly eternal. Soul, soul, now you can relax. Now you can retire. Now you've heard me say this many times before. I was born into a family of four with one bathroom and two bedrooms. 
The house was small because we didn't have much stuff. Our family didn't grow that much, but a house did because we were collectors. Now, I've, I've also noticed this about some women. I mean, in the, in the 50s, I remember as a young boy, my mom's purse was tiny. The older I got, I feel like the purse got bigger. And now some ladies in Singapore, their purses are so big, they need a chair to put it on when they're having their food. You, you know, our stuff is creating anxiety. And here's what God says to this rich man. Verse 20. God said to him, fool. It's a grieving word. Now, now some of you may get anxious. You might think, oh, I might have to explain this to a friend because you know there's another portion of Scripture in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus clearly says, listen, don't you ever call somebody a fool. If you call somebody a fool, you are liable to the hell of fire. And, And now here is God calling this man a fool, well, well, just so that you understand, in Matthew chapter 12, or sorry, that's a typo. It should be Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. When Jesus says, whenever you call a man or a friend or a brother, you fool, that is the word maros. Maros is the word from which we get the term moron. Jesus clearly says, don't call anybody a moron, Moron means stupid, mad, dazed. It means you were born that way. You can't do anything about it. But the term Jesus uses in Luke chapter 12 is not moros. It's a different word completely. He uses the word aphron. A moron is someone who lacks mental capacity to make good decisions. But an Afron is someone who has good sense, but doesn't use it. And so in verses 20 and 21, the Lord says, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Notice that stark comparison. This man is Aphron because he died rich toward himself and impoverished toward God. Uh, About three weeks ago, as I was staring up at the broken rafters of my idol, I had an epiphany. I had a suddenly, I think, spiritual realization that for an entire year I've been obsessing over getting back to that island, fixing up that little cabin, preparing for a retirement that is, quite honestly, probably years away. And and I suddenly realized I was literally 
breaking my face on that island over something my boys probably don't even care much about. I mean, these boys, they were raised in a city. They, they didn't grow up crawling around in the back bush of their father's big yard. They, they grew up in the city. They grew up taking buses. They, they came, a couple of them came out for a few days and were exhausted because, Dad, how does anybody go this long without internet? They're, they're city boys. They're not Kampong boys. Maybe your rafters haven't yet been crushed. But before they do, Luke would remind us of a biblical truth echoed in the words of Paul. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Do you understand this theology? The theology of man is we, we are not a body with a soul. We are a soul that happens for a short time to have a body. Glorify God while we are yet in that body. As you glorify God in that body, you enrich yourselves toward him. I don't know what your rafters look like. Maybe it's not a cabin in the bush. Probably isn't. It's, it's probably a condo in the city, or, or maybe it's your investment portfolio or, or your child's academic performance. Whatever it is, you and I are currently focused on, the truth of Scripture is we are not just this body with personality. We are a living, eternal soul that happens to have a body. And one day, all our broken down idols will be left to someone else. Our bodies will be left to the fire or the earth. Our stuff will fall into someone else's lap who may not even love it. What a profound tragedy it will be if in the deep night that my soul is required to give an account, that account shows rich towards self, impoverished toward God. But there is some good news. Third, we can, we can truly know how to be rich toward God. First, we're encouraged to trust God for tomorrow. Trust him for tomorrow. Verses 22 and th through 30 says, because life is more than clothing and food. Be because you have more value to God than birds or grass or flowers. I mean, how many of you noticed during the, the circuit breaker that, that the grass kept growing? The grass doesn't wake up at dawn anxious about what am I going to do for sunlight? The, the, the crows and the minor birds don't have a discussion before they leave their home nest saying, honey, I, you know, I'm going to go look for food, but I feel, I feel anxious about it. God cares about you so much more than birds or grass or lilies, and yet he has clothed them more gloriously than Solomon clothed himself. He is the same God 
that clothes creation with glory, he will also look after his children. Therefore, he says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will put on. God will care for you. My problem is I want so much more than I need. Even while my idols are crumbling, even while my investments are losing value, I still wring my hands over them. This is a face of a man who is fully trusting in God's provision. George Mueller, I'm sure you've heard of him, was the founding member of the Plymouth Brethren Church. He was also a missionary in Bristol, England, and he founded many orphanages, schools, homes for children who had no parents. The fascinating thing about this man is he never sent out letters requesting for support. He never held a fundraising banquet. He quietly, faithfully, prayerfully established a ministry of gospel care for thousands of children. And it's a ministry that still exists today, 250 years after his birth. There's a fairly well-known story about an evening or late afternoon, his wife comes to him and, and said, uh, George, we, we have nothing for morning breakfast. We don't even have milk for the children. And so George Mueller called his wife and his staff together and they prayed. And as they prayed, he spoke up, not talking to God, but talking to those gathered in prayer And he said these words, friends, I am confident of this one thing. If we walk with him and look to him and expect him to help us, he will never fail us. This God that clothes the lilies, this God that paints the birds, this God that cares for grass, he will care for his flock. And then Jesus says in verse 30, all the nations of the world seek after those things. Your father knows that you need them. In in other words, the orphaned peoples of this world, the peoples who live without the benefit of a sovereign father, caring, providing God, they must clamor after their own care. But you, listen to this, Your father, who loves you beyond measure, he knows that you need them. So we can joyfully submit to his sovereign plans for us. Instead, Jesus says, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. How can we joyfully submit? Did you see it there? He's asking us to seek what he's longing to give us. While we seek it, he has already pursued us and he longs to give us every good gift. That's why Elder Bay read this opening text for us this morning. 
His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. When I was a young adult, a new government came into power in British Columbia, and they had planned to return all these big national companies to the people. And so they gave every citizen, every resident of British Columbia, a hundred shares in this British Columbia brick company in some town in northern British Columbia. And when I got those hundred shares and looked at the price of them, $5.98 a share, I felt like the richest person I knew. And then week after week, I watched that share fall more and more and more. And my brother was saying, we should sell our brick shares. But I was afraid to, wringing my hands, anxious. I don't know what happened to my hundred shares. They went down to one penny. My brother still has his certificate. That's what's happening to all of our earthly investment right now. We don't know how to extricate ourselves, but Christ came to do it for us. He came, he lived perfectly. He died a horrific death to pay the penalty for our addiction to bad investments. He lives again so that we might know we can escape the corruption that is in this world because of all those evil desires to be rich in things that don't matter. And finally, let's all of us invest in glory. Sell your possessions. Now, now some of you are already looking for the shock emoji to put in your notes. But, but let me just be clear. When he says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, he's not saying, sell everything. He's not saying, sell all you have. He's simply saying, unencumber yourself. Exchange your barns for a bag. Order your life in such a way that allows you to steward God's treasure. And in doing so, you will. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And, and here is the very epicenter of Christ's teaching in this text. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our hearts will tenaciously chase after that which our souls treasure. That's why I call that little cabin in the woods a broken down idol. Because I obsess over it. What are you obsessing over, friend? What are you anxious over? Has that become an idol? Is your heart constantly bent toward that thing? 
the main thrust of Jesus' teaching in this text is not about the extent of riches. It's not about how rich you are. It's about the direction of our hearts. Is our gaze, are our hearts obsessively focused on the soil of this earth? Or are they constantly bent up toward glory? Because one day, our earthly treasure will fail us even before our bodies have. I so appreciate your prayers for Sherry. She is uh, perhaps today or tomorrow traveling to Ohio to see her mother. And one of the things that is so difficult for her mom right now, or I should say more difficult for Sherry, is that Sherry remembers a different mother. Sherry remembers a mother who cared about so many things. She cared about hearing from her children every day. Sherry called her mom from Singapore every day. If she didn't call her mom, she'd be anxious because she knew that phone call meant everything to her mom. Her mom wanted to hear from her children, her grandchildren. Every once in a while, she'd like to hear from her son-in-law. She cared about so many things and people. And now, as she lays in her hospice bed, she cares about nothing. Call, don't call, doesn't matter. She's not charging her phone. She seldom speaks. She doesn't eat. Her worldly idols have failed her. She, she doesn't care. It's all lost value even before she's died. I hope you can see that the sorrow in this story is not that the man was rich. The sorrow in this story is he died rich but impoverished toward God. So, so what does it really mean to provide yourself with treasure in the heavens? It means that we live life with an intense awareness that there's only one thing in our world that is eternal. There is only one thing in our world that's not constantly degrading, and that is our very soul. It's the reason why even and especially in this season of global chaos, our elders are constantly encouraging us, keep investing in eternity. Keep on feeding your souls with the bread of God's word. Continue to seek comfort and courage in prayer. And I'm not beyond giving an advertisement for this coming Friday's prayer meeting. Let's gather and seek comfort as we are together and courage in crying out to the one who made us and who sees us and who loves us. Continue to gather one-on-one -on -one in small groups and in investing in another human soul, speaking words of courage and strength. Seek the gift of gospel opportunity. Some orphaned soul 
tell them God sees you. God is for you. God is after you. Dutch theologian Henri Nguyen uh, focused on the, the theology of pastoral care, and he ended every day before the night came by asking himself several questions. Did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? These, he wrote, are the real questions. I must trust the little bit of love I sow now may bear many fruits here in this world and when? In the life to come. Henri Nguyen was a man who was rich in God. I uh, went onto Google Maps and found this street in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. It's a street that reminds me of a particularly traumatic afternoon. Sherry and I were walking down this very street on the right side on that pavement toward what is now a little brown house to make a church member visit. It was red then. I'm pretty sure it was red. It's brown now. But just as we were coming up to that little sign on the right, we noticed a little boy walking to the park. Now, it's very common in Moose Jaw for children to walk by themselves on the streets. Our, our boys were six and eight. They walked every day by themselves to their school, which was some distance from our house. It was a completely safe little town. But as he was walking ahead of us, just as he got next to that blue house, suddenly a big German Shepherd dog dashed out from behind a bush, jumped on the fence, barking ferociously while wagging his tail. It so startled the little boy that he jumped out into the street. And I recall Sherry, I was slow to move, but Sherry was rushing toward him just to get between the dog and, and the little boy just to calm him down when suddenly there was a th sickening thud and a car struck that boy in the street and sent his little body flying right into the gutter. I cannot forget, it was a cool day, holding that little boy, feeling his warm blood seeping through my fingers. And the devastated auntie who was driving weeping and howling and falling on her knees, shouting, I didn't see him. I, I just didn't see him. We were witnesses. And because of that, we, we, we heard about this anxious auntie's driving patterns. She was an anxious driver. So she would drive intensely focusing on every meter up to 10 or so, just beyond the bonnet of her car as she drove. She wasn't driving fast. She never drove fast. She was intensely looking at everything in the road, 10 meters beyond her bonnet, but not 25. You know, one of the rules of defensive driving says that we are to look a great distance beyond the bonnet of our car. See what's way up ahead. Prepare to respond quickly 
This woman saw everything clearly 10 meters ahead, but not 25. There's a reason we cho chose the call to worship that we did, because in that same passage, Peter outlines in verses 5 through 9, the qualities of a small suffering community that would invest in glory, invest in forever. And then in verse 9, he says this, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This rich fool was nearsighted, just focusing what was in front of him. And, and as you think about your driving habits, what kind of driver are you? Do you see 10 meters beyond the bonnet? Do you really see what's coming? Do you see 10 meters just to retirement? Or do you see far beyond, beyond retirement, beyond the grave, into eternity? I want to invite you to bow with me together as we pray. As you consider your life and all the things that you invest in, it's right where you are in your, in your small group. I, I'm, I'm going to ask you to consider just what kind of driver are you really? Are, are you focused long-term, glory-bound, investing in eternity, energizing your soul with his word, irrigating your heart, with the fellowship of God's people, strengthening yourself with the courage that comes in prayer? Or are you focused on all the other things the nations run after? Just investing in a good land, yes, but in idols that are declining and degrading that will lose value. If you have a sense that you need a loving God who knows what you need, is a provider, would you turn your heart to him now and say, oh, Lord God, come and fill me with courage to see far beyond 10 meters in front of my bonnet. Help me to see down eternity's road Invest and be rich in you. God, we thank you that you have pursued us for this reason. We're not here by accident. Those who have logged onto this YouTube channel did not do so on a whim. You have brought them here. And if there's even one person listening in today who has not fully given themselves over to you, Give them the courage, O oh God, this day to realize that you brought them here because of your great love for them. You paid the price for their addiction to bad investments. And you live so that they too can live, not just until retirement, not just until the grave, but forever. God, do this good work in us. It is for our good. Do it, O oh God, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.